0: Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4. I'm reading in the New English Bible. On another occasion, he began to teach by the lakeside. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he had to get into a boat on the lake and there he sat with the whole crowd on the beach right down to the water's edge and he taught them many things by parables. As he taught he said, Listen, a sower went out to sow and it happened that as he sowed some seed fell along the footpath and the birds came and ate it up Some seed fell on rocky ground where it had little soil and it sprouted quickly because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun rose, the young corn was scorched and as it had no proper root, it withered away. Some seed fell among the thistles, but the thistles shot up and choked the corn and it yielded no crop. And some of the seed fell into good soil where it came up and grew and bore fruit. And the yield was thirtyfold, sixtyfold, even a hundredfold. He added, If you have ears to hear, then hear. When he was alone, the twelve and others who were round him questioned him about the parables. He replied, To you, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given. But to those who are outside, everything comes by way of parables, so that, as Scripture says, They may look and look, but see nothing. They may hear and hear, but understand nothing. Otherwise they might turn to God and be forgiven. So he said, you do not understand this parable. How then are you to understand any parable? The sower sows the word. Those along the footpath are people in whom the word is sown but no sooner have they heard it than satan comes and carries off the word which has been sown in them it is the same with those who receive the seed on rocky ground as soon as they hear the word they accept it with joy but it strikes no root in them they have no staying power then when there is trouble or persecution on account of the word they fall away at once others again receive the seed among thistles They hear the word, but worldly cares and the false glamour of wealth and all kinds of evil desire come in and choke the word, and it proves barren. And there are those who receive the seed in good soil. They hear the word and welcome it, and they bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, or a hundredfold. He said to them, Do you bring in the lamp to put it under the meal tub or under the bed? Surely it is brought to be set on the lampstand for nothing is hidden unless it is to be disclosed and nothing put under cover unless it is to come into the open. If you have ears to hear, then hear. He also said, Take note of what you hear. The measure you give is the measure you will receive with something more besides. For the man who has will be given more and the man who has not will forfeit even what he has. He said the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the land. He goes to bed at night and gets up in the morning and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He does not know. The ground produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then full-grown corn in the ear. But as soon as the crop is ripe, He sets to work with the sickle because harvest time has come. He said also, how shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we describe it? It is like the mustard seed which is smaller than any seed in the ground at its sowing. But once sown it springs up and and grows taller than any other plant and forms branches so large that the birds can settle in its shade. With many such parables He would give them his message so far as they were able to receive it he never spoke to them except in parables but privately to his disciples he explained everything now you will see that in this second division of the gospel according to mark from verse 14 of chapter 1 to verse 52 of chapter 10 Um, I've entitled The Servant of the Lord at Work because it is to me the most comprehensive uh, uh, and satisfactory uh, title uh, for this very difficult section of the Gospel according to Mark I'm not going to go over that, you've got it in the notes we have already dealt with the Servant of the Lord himself and we have also dealt with the second of those subdivisions his disciples appointed to be with him in service now this evening we come to the third which is mark chapter 4 from verse 1 to verse 34 it is the servant of the lord and the parables of the kingdom the parables of the kingdom and the servant of the lord in other words we have here christ's teaching concerning The service of God, or if you like, teaching concerning service for the kingdom of God. Now, um, the reason why we're going to devote the whole of this evening to uh, to these 34 verses is because they present us with a number of very real problems, as well as some, I think, very vital lessons. First of all, the crowds, the, the context of this giving, this great discourse, were uh, that great crowds had so enormous had gathered at this point, on this occasion, that Christ had to sit in a boat, rowed out a little offshore. So that he was just offshore, probably in one of the many inlets around the Lake of Galilee. That means that on three sides, the people, the crowds were all over the shore, right down to the water's edge. You'll find in Weymouth, the New English Bible, in uh, J.B. Phillips, that it uh, actually says that right down to the water's edge. You've got a very graphic picture drawn for us by Mark of the immense crowds as it was swarming over um, the shore and the incline as it were up uh, on three sides whilst the Lord was out in a boat a little way so that there was a bit of water, a moat of water between him and the crowds. Now the reason he did this was not just because of the enormous crowds because when he um, preached that great message of the... Um, kingdom, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, there was just as many crowds, but he didn't go out in a boat. But at this point, it was not the crowds, it was the fact that everyone was trying to touch him. It was absolutely impossible for the Lord Jesus to teach. Because he just simply was pressed um, upon by all kinds of people. You had that, for instance, in uh, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, where we have another occasion when he had to get into a boat. It says this, He spake to his disciples that a little boat should wait on him because of the crowd, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many insomuch that as many as had plagues pressed upon him that they might touch him. Now that was the reason why he had to put some water between himself and the crowds because everyone who had any kind of trouble or um, uh, possession or bondage they wanted to press forward to touch the Lord just like that little woman you remember she said I but touch the hem of his garment I shall be made whole. Um, and uh, it is interesting that it's in some cases the Lord was directed to people who couldn't touch him. For instance, some of the blind people, they couldn't touch him. Some of the lepers dare not touch him. The crowd wouldn't let them come near. So he had to go specially to them. That's just an aside. You'll also find it in chapter 6 and verse 56, where it says, And wheresoever he entered into villages or into cities or into the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment." And as many as touched him were made whole. So the only way the Lord could teach at all was to somehow at this point, on this occasion, was to put a little moat of water between him and these great crowds, so that if they were going to get healed, he'd do it afterwards. Um, but he had to as it were just keep them a little at distance so he could get over to them some of these tremendous principles concerning the kingdom otherwise we wouldn't have them this of course this chapter these verses are one of the very few discourses which Mark uh, records and even then if you compare it with Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 13 it is considerably shortened now that means even if it is a shortened account we need to take all the more note of it for Mark includes this discourse with a very real reason, he is very sparing in the discourses that he includes in his record as you know from um, the studies and the introduction to Mark and it's key, for a reason so um, the fact that this is included means we have got to to take all the more note of it Mark tells us that Christ taught by means of many parables in verse 2 it says he taught them many things in parables and verse 33 with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it now Mark Select out of this great number of parables only four four only does Mark select from this great number of parables which the Lord uh, gave and he gives us only one interpretation and that interpretation is of the first parable one of the four parables Mark records is unique to the Gospel according to Mark that is the the one we find in verses 26 to 29 um, uh, the parable of the growing green now what is a parable? what is a parable? a parable is a story which contains a hidden meaning or A story which conceals a spiritual lesson. Literally the word means a placing beside. One thing placed beside another. So here you have a story and beside it you have the lesson. You can stop at the story and not get the lesson. Many people do. But in fact a parable contains both the sto- a story and a lesson. Concealed within a simple story often very homely was a profound and tremendous secret lesson or principle. Now by means of these parables Christ sought To teach something about the nature and the character and the principles of service, of the service of God. In other words, Mark selects for us four parables with this in mind. They are all parables of the kingdom. But he selects them with this in mind. The teaching of the Lord Jesus concerning the service of God in the light of the kingdom. In Matthew, the emphasis is is placed upon Christ as the um, sower, the Son of Man. We're told explicitly in Matthew that it is to be identified with the Son of Man who went out to sow the seed. In Mark, we have a very interesting change. Instead of identifying it with the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus just is recorded as saying, the sower sows the word. In other words, Mark deliberately makes it much more general because he has service in view. In other words, not only the Lord Jesus Christ as the sower, the the servant of the Lord, but you and I, as those who have been appointed to be with him in his service, sowers of the word. In other words, we see here Christ as the servant of the Lord going forth with the gospel, the word. And he not only goes forth with the word, but he is himself the word. And this is the whole problem these parables present to us. You'll find that in just one moment. They really are difficult because um, of the way the Lord himself interprets them. That's why commentators and Bible students have got such a variety of interpretations upon uh, these a parable so let's get this absolutely clear we have got here Christ as the servant of the Lord the sower going forth with the gospel the word not only proclaiming the word but he was himself the word of God and then we see ourselves brought by his grace, by the grace of God alone, to be his companions in this work, to be his co-workers in this work, to be with him in this tremendous job of sowing the word of God, of manifesting Christ himself. Now, let's look at just a few scriptures. For instance, Mark chapter 4, verse 14. This chapter, verse 14. The sower soweth the word. Now go back to chapter 1 and um, verse 17. Chapter 1 verse 17. Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, or follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now fishers are in fact Um, just like sowers, sowers are sowing seed for a harvest fishers are fishing for the fruit of the seed you've got the same thought exactly here we have the sower sowing the word there he said follow after me and I will make you to become fishers of men you're sowing the word with a harvest in view you're sowing the word with fruitfulness in view with a crop in view Look at it again, chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. To preach. And to have authority to cast out demons. There you are. Appointed to be with him in this great work. Sent out to preach. To preach what the word. To have authority to cast out demons. Then look at... Um, Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Well, you all must know that off by heart now. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here, the beginning of the gospel, the word. Now then, turn to the end of the gospel. Chapter 16 and verse 15. You, You have the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here we have verse 15, chapter 16... And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieveth shall be condemned. Verse 20, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word by the signs that followed. Amen. Here you've got it again. The sower went forth to sow. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He went forth sowing the word. And now we see at the end of the gospel that he sends his own out to sow the word. And he was with them in that great sowing of the word. Now let's go a little deeper than that. Let's turn to 1 John and chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1 now here is John summing up something tremendous that which was from the beginning that which we have heard that which we have seen with our eyes that which we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. Now, what is this word of life? It's a thing, is it? It's a thing, is it? Truth, is it? Just truth as a thing. Doctrines, teaching. And now just wait. And the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare unto you the life, the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you also that ye also may have fellowship with us. Yea, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write that your joy may be made full. In other words, this word of life is not just a thing, it's a person. This gospel that we preach is a preaching of Jesus. Uh, We want to get that clear, otherwise a bit later when we come back to the parables, we, we will be confused otherwise. We've got it again, turn back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Verse 7 and 8. Now listen to this. And ye became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that ye became an ensemble to all that believe in Macedonia and Archaia. For from you hath sounded forth the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia, Archaia, but in every place your faith to Godward is gone forth, so that we need not to speak anything at all. The word of the Lord. Sounding forth the word of the Lord. Look back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. That ye may become blameless and harmless children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye are seen as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may have whereof to glory in the day of Christ. Holding forth the word of life. And lastly, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 35, Philip preached unto him Jesus. Philip preached unto him Jesus. So we see two things. We see Christ as the servant of the Lord, the sower, going forth, sowing the seed, preaching the gospel. And he was himself that gospel. And then we see ourselves introduced into service, into his service, appointed to be with him in the preaching of this word. And this word is not just a matter of um, outlining a few truths or doctrines. It is a matter of manifesting a life manifesting a person, setting forth a person, and that person is the word of life himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when you come to the four parables, let's just very simply uh, cover them, and then we'll look at them a little more fully if we have time at the end. In the first parable, we have the different results of the sowing of this word. It is precisely the same seed, precisely the same seed and it is precisely the same sower but the results are quite different think of that it's not poor quality seed or a poor quality sower the same sower with the same seed has four different results we've got that in the first um, uh, parable but in spite of four different kinds of soil Four different results. There is a final harvest. There is a crop. The design, the purpose in sowing the word is fulfilled. There is a harvest. In the first parable, we have fruitfulness in service. In the second parable, we are taught that light bearing carries a very solemn responsibility indeed now this is in some ways a quite frightening little parable it's a very small one, it's often overlooked but really it is responsibility and service Service. truth must manifest itself truth cannot be hidden in the end it must manifest itself by its very nature truth always outs it can do no other and there is something more than that it must be shared even when it's veiled in flesh and blood as it was in Christ so they said isn't this the carpenter don't we know his father and mother even if it's truth veiled in human flesh and blood even if it is truth concealed in mighty acts of miracles that many people couldn't understand so that they could come to him and say, oh perform a miracle like a circus. Perform a miracle, said the Pharisees. Let's let's see something. Let's see. Herod said, I'd like him to come down. He said to Pilate, I'm very glad that you're sending him down to me. I'm hoping that he's going to perform a miracle in front of me. They saw the miracles, they saw the signs, they saw the mighty acts, but they didn't see the truth. It was concealed. Even when it's concealed in those mighty works and acts. Even when it is hidden in parables. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus was doing here in these verses. He was hiding profound and tremendous truth in parables. Even when it was hidden like that the end, the aim of it all is that finally it might be disclosed finally we might all be led to the truth so that we might fully know fully experience fully understand um, the truth contained in these things in the third parable we have the faith and patience required in the service of the kingdom the servant is seen at the beginning the sowing and at the end the reaping but in between (laughs) he does nothing he goes to sleep he gets up and goes through life quite normally we only see him at the beginning and the end it says the earth of itself produces first the blade then the stalk then the full ear The increase is God's work. We come in at the beginning and the end, but the increase is God's work. It reminds you very much of that in 1 Corinthians 3 where it says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. It's God that giveth the increase. The increase is God's work. In the last parable, we have a very solemn warning as to what the natural man and the powers of darkness will do with the seed, even when it has taken root and grown aright, they will develop it into something quite different and other than it was intended to be. Not fruitfulness, nor a harvest, but a nesting place and a roosting place for things alien to God. That's the last parable. Well, we'll look at that a little later. Now we come to our first problem. And within the problem, our first really great lesson, and I believe it is, in fact, one of the most tremendous lessons that any of us can learn in the Christian life, or in church life, or in the service of God. From a superficial reading of these verses, it would appear that Christ used parables deliberately to blind the unsaved. And this is a great problem. you only got to read all the commenta- commentaries and everything else on this thing. My word, they've, they've gone to town, they've stewed on it. You see, here we have it in verse uh, uh, um, uh, 11, or uh, verse 12. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn again and be forgiven. A superficial reading would seem to suggest that the Lord Jesus said, Now I'm speaking in these parables deliberately so that these people will not understand what I'm talking about. So that uh, lest they should get saved. Can you honestly believe that of the Lord Jesus? who said, I am come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance? Of whom it was said, Christ Jesus later came into the world to save sinners? Surely it can't be true. Now, if you look at these verses from verses um, uh, uh, 21 to 23, 21 to 23, which is the parable of the Lamb, from those verses it's quite clear that that is not true for we are told here after this there is nothing hid except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light in other words what the Lord Jesus was saying if we are hiding truth in a parable it is that that, that in the end it might be disclosed if we are We've got a secret contained in these parables, the secret of the kingdom. It is that it might be revealed. Well now, what does this mean? Don't you see the problem? What on earth is the Lord Jesus doing? Well we might well say to him, now look Lord, don't talk in conundrums. Why, why speak in parables? Why not give us plain teaching in simple words? just give us plain teaching and simple why use parables at all? because we understand from this that he spoke in parables in order to lead them finally into the truth or well, wouldn't it be simple to just give a good plain simple um, straightforward message ah, now we've got the secret now we've got it christ if only i could make this absolutely clear by the holy spirit christ was in fact making a point here of vital importance vital and tremendous importance in everything to do with the christian life of vital and and tremendous importance to everything in the christian life and in church life and in the service of god i cannot underline that enough what was he trying to underline here it is the principle of revelation the principle of revelation if you just give clear plain teaching these people will turn the whole thing into religion what we've got to do is to put it in such a way that they can stop at the story or be mystified and confused as to what really is the meaning of the whole thing and then turn to the Lord and ask for the enlightenment, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, then they will come into the profound secret of mystery which lies at the heart of of these parables. Now, if you can get hold of that, you've got hold of everything. To the outsider then, as now, these parables were to remain mere stories. But to his disciples, to those appointed to be with him in his service, then as now, he wanted to reveal the secret of the kingdom. He wanted to explain the profound meaning behind these simple little stories. To disclose, to reveal to them, if you like, the mystery of the kingdom to the unsaved to the natural man even if he's saved it is only the telling of stories wonderful stories enlightening stories illustrative stories the speaking of so many words the working of so many miracles to those who were his own to those who were called and chosen, to those who later were to be born of his spirit, to those who, to, who were given, as it were, the key to these things, keys of the kingdom. To them, he would share the whole secret of the kingdom. Now then, However clever, zealous or knowledgeable the natural man may be, he cannot of himself enter into or understand the things of God. The secret of the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom must forever remain a secret and a mystery. I don't care whether you've been to theological seminary after theological seminary. You may have biblical knowledge till it's coming out of your ears. You may be absolute, you may be able to write theses on scripture. But I tell you this, that if it's the natural man that's in these things, the secret of the kingdom is forever withheld. You can know the facts, you can know the figures, you can hear the words, you can know the stories. But the real secret of the whole thing is closed within it. It will never open. Never, never, never. There is a divine veto on the natural man. The natural mind. Natural resources. Natural energy. Natural wisdom. All that finds its origin in in our soul life. All that finds its origin in what we are by nature in the flesh don't we know it don't you know it you take up your newspaper and read what some professor says about the bible here's a man who's got degree after degree in theology and you can't understand it go and find some simple dear person who really knows the lord and talk with them and you get off it's like a fountain of life it's like a fountain of life They can't talk, or the beautiful talk, but you find they understand these things. They mean something, they mean life to them. They are a gateway into the very heart of God. How can that be? How can that be? How is it possible for an intelligent, clever, educated person to come to this and find nothing but bare bones? And another person who hasn't got that benefit of that education, or not even of the original languages, can come to the Word, and it opens up to them and they behold the Word of God himself. They know the Lord himself in his Word. They feed on the, the Lord himself. They can share the Lord himself. How is that possible? spiritual things can only be understood by the spirit of God enlightening our human spirit that is the only way, the God ordained way by which any man or woman can enter into the secret of the kingdom the mystery of the kingdom there is no other way that incredible privilege, I say it is an incredible privilege that incredible privilege is given to every blood-born-again child of God, whoever she is, whatever he or she is. It is given to them. If you are a child of God, this tremendous privilege is yours. You may be the weakest, stupidest, silliest, dumbest child of God that ever walked this earth. But here is your privilege. You should almost jump up and do a dance. Think of that. You've got the most incredible privilege given to you. You may be the stupidest, dumbest person in the whole wide world, but here is the privilege given to you. The secret of the kingdom is yours. Now, I'm going to say in one minute that you may not know anything about it, but it's yours. Your silly fault if you don't. But the privilege is yours, every one of you. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb, that's why. It's the blood of the Lamb that's bought the privilege for you, not anything you've done, not anything you are, not anything about your background. It is the blood of the Lamb, the finished work of Jesus Christ that's bought for you this tremendous privilege. But I'm afraid to say that although every child of God is given this incredible privilege not every true child of God lives on this principle what do I mean? the principle listen that the natural man receiveth not the things of God for they are spiritually discerned that's the principle well well that's just simply tremendous how often even as Christians born again it's all a matter of the natural man in the the service of God isn't it why we consecrate the natural man we Christianize the natural man we get the natural man praying he hates it we get the natural man studying the word he doesn't like that too much It's the old natural man, natural energies, natural resources, natural wisdom, natural everything. We push the whole lot into the work of God, into the service of God, and say, now then, get on with it. Now the Lord Jesus puts his finger with these disciples upon this point. They were going to learn it bitterly. They were going to learn this lesson bitterly. It took them the whole of three years. well now that's just like you and I we're just the same in the, in when it comes to this isn't that so I think Brother Grubb is quite right when he says there are two great collapses in the Christian life the first when you collapse at the feet of the saviour and say I cannot save myself you must and the second is when you say I cannot live this Christian life you must true collapses absolutely necessary we have to say this that we can neither be saved by the natural man or his energies or resources or anything else we cannot grow spiritually that way we cannot come into anything deeper of the Lord that way you think back into your experience nor can we serve the Lord that way all has to be by way of the grace of God and the Spirit of God. That is the only way you and I can come into anything. To you has been given the spirit, uh, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. That's verse 11. Now I want to read to you a commentary on these uh words of uh, commentary in the word of God on these very words as it were in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and from verse um, 9 to 14 I'm going to read them listen in the revised standard version listen to this but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thought except the Spirit of the man which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts bestowed upon, on us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who possess the spirit. The unspiritual man, or the natural man, does not receive the gifts of the spirit of God, for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things. There it is. In just a few words of the scripture. We have received the spirit of God that we might know the things which have been freely given to us of God. How might we know the mystery of the kingdom? How might we know the secret? Only by the Spirit of God. That's why the Apostle Paul in that tremendous letter of Ephesians suddenly says, now look here, I am praying for you all. There at Ephesus, as you see this letter, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him may be given to you. The eyes of your heart being enlightened, that ye might know. And then he tells us what we ought to know. In other words, it's got to be by revelation. It's got to be by the Spirit of God. Now, I don't know if any of you are like me, but when I was younger in the Lord, I banged my head, as it were, on this brick wall for six solid years. It was the old natural man trying somehow or other to get through the spiritual sound barrier, and I couldn't do it and how many of us do this, we just can't get through so it is as if we're locked up we can never understand these things they are locked up, they're withheld from us so these parables become a stumbling block or a revelation you can just find them lovely little stories homely little stories even illustrative little stories but they're in fact a stumbling block. You know what stumbled? Your natural mind. It stumbled on them. Or oh, they can become a revelation. Now, I don't mean our natural imaginations getting to work as they have sometimes and got some fantastic things out of these parables. But when we really begin to understand what they're about. Now, we see all that I've been saying in the next section of this division, which is from verse 35 of chapter 4 right through to (coughs) verse 26 of chapter 8, which is the training of the disciples in the service of God. And the thing that comes out there is, is this that in spite of being called and being obedient in spite of being appointed to be with him in the closest proximity and fellowship imaginable in spite of him even explaining the parables in plain words to them as we have in verse 34 he, he taught in parables but to them he explained it in spite of all that they did not understand what really was behind it all. It was more than even that. They didn't even understand what his mission was and what his work was. Even toward the end of the three whole years with him, they still did not understand. You remember in those famous words in Mark chapter 8 and I think it's verse um, uh, 31, let me see. Yes, 31 to 32. For he taught his disciples, said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered up into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he shall rise again. But they understood not the same, and they were afraid to ask him. Now, in spite of even that, and again in chapter 6 and verse 52 we have it. For they understood not concerning the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Or again in chapter 8, verse 17, Jesus perceiving it said unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Do ye not yet perceive, neither understand? Have ye ye your heart hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not, and do ye not remember, when I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces took ye up? They sounded to him twelve. And when the seven among the four thousand, how many basketfuls of broken pieces took ye up? They sounded in seven. And he said unto them, Do ye not yet understand? After all this close proximity and fellowship and the fact that he explained to them in plain words, not parables, what he meant in the parables, they just didn't understand. They hadn't a clue. They hadn't got a clue. You will remember how Peter said to him, when the Lord spoke again about his cross, Peter said to him, never, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou a stumbling block to me. Thou mindest not the things of God but the things of men. How is it possible to be in such close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ to see all these miracles, to have the benefit of his instruction and teaching and still not really understand at the end of his life there was only one disciple who even dimly understood what he was going to do and that was a, a woman, Mary of Bethany. read that in Mark 14 she was the only one who very dimly perceived what his mission was and what his work was she anointed him over against his death wouldn't you have thought that was depressing why if we sort of thought of some bible college or missionary training college or some theological seminary today and it had that kind of results we would be very very depressed but quite honestly, often that is the result. Why? Because the basis is the same as of those disciples and the others. Which is, it was the natural man, the natural mind in the things and service of God. There's a veto on it. So if you live to be 100 years of age and you're all the time trying to force through your natural man, then there's a veto on that right through till you're a 100 So learn the lesson. Learn the lesson now. It took Calvary and Pentecost. It took all of the finished work of Christ crucified on the cross and all of the outpoured Holy Spirit at Pentecost to bring these men into a new realm. To bring the spirit of God into them. To open their spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. And create in them spiritual faculties by which they could understand God. Now remember this. If you're a child of God it is just this that's been given to you. God has given us the Holy Spirit. That he might open our eyes and open our ears and create within us spiritual faculties that can understand God, that can know God, that can taste and see and handle and so on and hear. Only after Calvary and Pentecost did these eleven disciples finally know the fulfillment of the Lord's words in verse 11 to you is given the secret of the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Three whole years near the Lord and they didn't really know the secret of the kingdom. They had no idea. They thought the Lord was going to be some kind of physical Messiah who was going to set up a material physical kingdom. It was all going to be Marv's, all going to be Jewish. And then all the Gentiles would come from the ends of the earth there. And the Lord was going to be in the midst and they were going to be set on thrones round about him. It was all going to be the old glory like Solomon's glory. Even after his cross they came to him at his ascension and said, Are you going to restore Israel? They'd still got the old idea right then. It was only after Pentecost that Peter stood up, and it was a new Peter. Look at his tremendous message, he said. "When he said, you see, this one you crucified, God foreordained. And now he's at the right hand of God. This is a new Peter speaking. The secret's been revealed to him. God has made him both Lord and Christ, he said. He has ascended and received the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Father, and has poured forth this which you see and hear. It's a new Peter. What's happened to him? It's strange. Only a few days before Pentecost, he wasn't like this. Why? Well, the, the eleven of them were casting dice. Think of it. Throwing lots to find out who should be the twelfth apostle. They never, I, I noticed that after that they never did that again. They had prayer meetings after that. They got on their knees and said, Lord, what do you want us to do? Do you see what's happened? A tremendous change has taken place. Well, we must uh, speed on. That's got to happen to you and me also. If we're going to understand spiritual things, if we're going to understand the secret and the mystery of the kingdom. We've got to know the not only the cross, but not only, we've got to know Calvary, we've got to know Pentecost. We've got to know the blessed work, the finished work of Jesus Christ and the outpoured, the ministry of the outpoured Holy Spirit well um, one other point I'd like to make before we just finally look at the parables and note a few things uh, about them is that we cannot fail to see the emphasis upon hearing now you just can't surely if you read this you can't fail to notice this look at it verse 9 he who has ears to hear let him hear Uh, verse 12 um, that hearing they do not hear and understand verse 15 when they hear verse 16 who when they hear the word verse 18 and others are one sown among thorns they are those who hear the word verse 20 are the ones who hear the word verse 23 if any man has ears to hear let him hear verse 24 and he said to them take heed what you hear and verse 33 with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it you can't get away from it's all about you know we're back again to the servant with the pierced ear It's all to do with hearing. Now service is to do with hearing. You see this question of spiritual understanding, spiritual um, faculties operating in the things of God, it's very much a matter of hearing. We have to hear. John 5, 24, the Lord Jesus said, Um... uh, let me just read John 5, verse 24. Lord Jesus, that he that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me hath eternal life. Verse 25, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour cometh, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. That's how you and I were saved. Something pierced through to our spiritual ear, and we heard. The word of god we can hear a thousand gospel messages but the day when god saved us something went clean through to the heart we heard and those that hear the voice of the son of god they live it's wonderful uh, you've got it again in 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 romans 10 verse 17 faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of christ You've got it again in in Ephesians 4, 21. Now this is an interesting uh, uh, verse because many people overlook this. These people at Ephesus had never heard the Lord Jesus physically, but listen. If so be that ye heard him and were taught in him, even as truth is in Jesus. How had they heard Jesus? Evidently through the lips of some messenger even as ye heard and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Or again, in John 10, a well-known passage, John 10, verse uh, 27, My sheep hear my voice. Oh, there's a tremendous amount about the, this hearing. We can hear with our physical ears, and yet not hear with the ear of our spirit. You know, it's very interesting that the Lord Jesus said here, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the. Uh, uh, let him hear. But in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, and verse 11 and verse 17, and in chapter 3, you have this repetition, Let him that hath an ear hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Here are physical ears, but my spirit has an ear. Do you see? we have to hear. Um, the master needs to have our ear. That's one of the first and elementary things about uh, about service. That's where you begin, that's where you go on and that's the only way there can be any fulfillment in service. The master's got to have our ear. Sometimes that's a painful business. Sometimes we've not grown up and there are many here I'm sure like this and myself as well because we have not been obedient to light given then there are many things the master would like to say but he cannot now I often have people coming to me and saying why doesn't the Lord show me anything I'll tell you why because you have not been obedient to the light that's been given God never plays with truth he never I'm saying it carefully, cast pearls before swine. If you have treated familiarly and cheaply, superficially, the light he has given you, he will never give you another single bit of light until you get back and obey the light that he's given you. Never. You can go through the whole of life in darkness unless you're prepared to go back and yield on the point God has spoken to you. Some people spend 40 years wandering around and come back finally to the altar that they built 40 years earlier. And there they have to take up away again. Isn't it awful to think of that? But God just won't play with this matter of truth. He just won't do it. So listen to these words here in chapter, uh, uh, in this chapter, verse 33. With many such parables he spoke the words as they were able to hear it. Tell me, Can the Lord share his secret with you? Are you able to bear it? Is there a maturity, spiritual maturity in you, so that you can understand the deep things of God? You know, in in 1 Corinthians and chapter 1, Paul says, we speak a wisdom to those who are full-grown. And in other places, you know, I can't even give you meat because you're little babes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, or again in Hebrews when by re- reason of time you ought to be teachers yourselves, you should have been grown up, I'm having to give you the milk. You can't even take solid foods. It's terrible really, isn't it? We look out upon the Christian world today, what do we find? We find so many who just cannot take anything uh, beyond a certain measure. Well, there's something else. Then again, there's a deep and heavier responsibility in hearing the Lord. You see what it says in verse 24? Take heed what you hear. There's a solemn word. Take heed what you hear. Sometimes uh, one almost wishes one hadn't heard what one has heard from the Lord. Take heed what you hear. Not This doesn't mean uh, don't listen to things that are wrong. No, it's take heed Be careful about what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get. And still more will be given you. To him who has will more be given. To him who has not, what he's got will be taken away. Now there again is a tremendous word. What does it mean? There's a a tremendous responsibility. Light, truth, revelation given must never be treated cheaply or superficially. We must not only obey the light that God gives us, but we must share it as well. We must give it. Then again, one other point is this that the, we see here, I think, in these parables, the supreme importance of the Word. In three of them it's spoken of as the seed, and in one as light. But in every one of these parables we have the Word. Now Christ is the Word, and we must always be careful of making too great a division between the living Word and the written Word. I think you've got that in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But then you come to chapter 6 of John and verse 68, and we read these words. Um, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There is somehow a connection between the words of eternal life and the word. We've read already one, John chapter 1. But what about Colossians 3.16? Have you ever noticed it? Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Now, well, think of that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Or James 1, 2, 3, receiving the implanted word. He's not only the word, he's the light. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. And so on, Or oh, we can say so much about it. Once we sow that kind of seed, and once we manifest that kind of light, we can be certain of a true harvest. I've sometimes wondered if that's the reason for Mark speaking of the secret of the kingdom Whereas Matthew and Luke speak of the secrets of the kingdom It's interesting that Mark says It is the secret unto you is given the secret of the kingdom And then he only takes four Is the secret of the kingdom the word himself? Surely we know the mystery is Christ Is the mystery of the kingdom Christ? himself the word and the light well I leave that with you well now I think in closing let's just note uh, a few things about these parables you might like to um, just pop down in the first parable verses 3 to 20 we have three main factors the sower the seed and the soil the sower the seed and the soil the sower mark uh, identifies him uh, uh, in a general way as the sower sow us the word I've said about Matthew we won't go into that the seed is the word of God and it's utterly important to just to uh, uh, see that it is the word which alone can do the work when we can get the living word in our lives and out from our lives to others the work's being done that's the most important Not our ideas, not our opinions, not our viewpoints, not our theology, but get the Word himself into our lives. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you and then out through our lives. Let your light so shine. Who is the light? Jesus is the light of the world. And then the soil. Now, it's interesting, and here we have our problems. That in verse 15 it would suggest that we are the soil. Verse 16, verse 18 and verse 20. The seed is, we are the seed. Now how can you explain that? See in verse, uh, um, here in verse 15 he says um, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. Verse 16, in like manner are the ones sown upon rocky ground. And then verse 18, others are s- ones sown among thorns. And verse 20, those that were sown upon the good soil. Isn't it interesting? When the word gets into us a soil, a marvellous thing happens. Somehow or other, the word and ourselves become wedded. I think it's the only way we can explain it we receive the implanted word. I, I, I cannot see any other thing. If anyone's got anything else, be very interested. You have four different kinds of soil. Indifferent soil. That is, I hope you've all noted, it was a footpath. And a footpath is trodden hard like concrete. The, 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 the grain fell on it and found no yielding soil at all. So the birds came and ate it indifferent never took root at all the second kind of soil is um, shallow soil that is it was quite good soil but there was so little depth the rock was just underneath it the soil was good the the seed took root and then immediately the sun came out it scorched the earth and the root and it died so the, the seed germinated but it died and uh, the Lord Jesus explains that by saying well that's like those who with great joy it's an emotional decision to men instantaneously they accept and say oh I want to be a Christian. And just as quickly they go back. As soon as the first trouble comes as soon as the first antagonism comes the first uh, um, persecution they go back. The third soil is what I call fawn choked soil. Now this is very interesting, because here the seed fell into, it was good soil, good soil, fell into the soil and took root, germinated and grew. But it never bore fruit, because all the thorns grew up beside it and choked it. And we're told three things about these uh, uh, thorns. We're told they're the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires, for the desire for other things. Now isn't that interesting? If you're barren, it's one of three causes. Here you've got a true child of God, who's grown, but he's not bearing fruit. It's either worries of this world. Now you say, but just wait, just wait. All of us have got worries. Why, think of my work, think of my home, think of my children, think of my husband, think of my wife. Oh, I've got such a lot of worries. I mean, well, I can't get away from them, can I? Right, it's what you do with them. It's not the having of them, it's what you do with them. If you let the worries roost and nest, they'll destroy you. They become like thorns that grow up and choke you. You become bad and you can think of nothing else but the problems, the difficulties and the cares. You're choked. <laughs> It's what you do with them, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. If you can get through in a relationship to the Lord like that, you'll be fruitful. Or against the deceitfulness of riches. Now I like this word, deceitfulness. Of Whenever we've got resources, they can be so deceitful. You may have the resources of a, of a natural mind. <coughs> riches of intelligence. Deceitful. You may have riches that are material riches. You can buy anything. Live as you will. They can be so deceitful. You can be led with a ring through the nose. It may be you're rich in emotion. Thank God for people who are rich in emotion. I mean, who, who can feel. But you know, it can be deceitful. The deceitfulness of our natural resources. deceitful, chokes no fruit or it can be uh, uh, the desire for other things now it doesn't tell us that they're all evil things some of the verses say lust well we all think of lust as something evil but desire for other things is perfect why it might just be the desire to get on at work so the work comes before the Lord unfruitfulness it may be the desire to have a family so you marry the wrong person it's a desire for other things. Or it may be that it's, it's, a, it's a desire to, to travel. So off you go, floating all over the world. Unfruitful. Maybe it's the desire for this or for that or for the other. Desire for other things ca- entering in chokes. Then we have the other soil, which is good soil. Now on this good soil, it is very interesting, this one little seed reproduces itself thirty times, and or sixty times, or one hundred times. Isn't that marvelous? One little seed reproducing itself all those times. One little seed becomes thirty. Or here's another little seed becomes sixty. Or here's another little seed becomes a hundred. Fruitful. It's fertile soil, the last uh, soil. Now you notice that in three of these soils there's no fruit only in the fourth now what is the point of the parable the point of this parable is not just the sower and it's not the seed it is fruitfulness in service in other words the whole point of the sower sowing the seed is to get a crop and that's the point at least in mark of this parable Mark is trying to emphasise for us this one fact that the whole point of the sower going out with his seed is that he might have a harvest. And I cannot get away in this context from the sense of fruit not being the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace and so on, which is perfectly right in other ways, uh, of being Christ likeness, I am quite sure that that must be so, but I cannot get away in this context of it being multiplication. One seed becomes 30. One seed becomes 60. One seed becomes a hundred. And you've got it very interestingly in Acts and uh, chapter um, Acts and um, chapter six and verse seven. Now listen to this. Isn't it interesting? It seems to be almost a commentary on, on this parable. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied. Mm-hmm. Now isn't that interesting? The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples. Multiply. Chapter 12, verse 24. Chapter 12, verse 24. The Word of God grew and multiplied. Now, what does that mean? Think. Just go away and think. You all read that without thinking. So do I. The Word of God grew and multiplied. How can the Word of God multiply? Had they got a publishing house for Bibles? What does it mean? The word of God grew and multiplied. Surely it means there must not only be increase in spiritual stature and character and quality, but there must be a multiplication, a reproduction, fruitfulness in service. Well then, the second parable is the parable of the lamp. We've said, I think, all needs to be said, except that the emphasis here is on sharing of light. Light is never given to be hidden, always to illuminate. And it must be shared. Even the purpose of parables are for that. Well, we've said all that, haven't we? We must, uh, I think, be very uh, careful how we treat light given to us. Now, do take note of this. Many a Christian life has been shipwrecked on this one thing. Always take care over the light that God has given you. Never treat it cheaply. If in 30 years' time you are a dead empty, barren question I can tell you it will be over, very largely over this thing what the Lord has given you, the way you've treated it how easy it is, even when we uh, listen to the word of God uh, to just treat it lightly be careful, the measure in which we obey and share it will be the measure, the increasing measure we will continue to receive so if we're receiving it's because we're sharing but if we've stopped receiving it's because we've stopped obeying and sharing that's why it's infallible law absolutely infallible and I might say this that if once we disobey light and don't share it it becomes darkness that's the explanation of many a Christian life and many a company they once had light it's all up here now. They go on and on and on about it, but oh, it's just death. It's absolute death. It's become darkness. The light has become the light has become bondage. How can light become bondage? How can truth become bondage? It's become darkness. Terrible, isn't it? We must learn that the way we hear the word of God is all important and finally determines our usefulness and the usefulness of our service the quality of our service and the fruitfulness of our service the parable of the growing grain we've said that already the sower or the man was only at the beginning and the end that's all everything else took place he, knew, he knows not how uh, that's the best thing a servant of the Lord can be if you're really in something and you say well I don't know how it's happening you can be quite sure and it is happening you can be quite sure that's the work of God that's, you can be quite sure it's, the word. it's inexplicable you're in at the beginning you're in at the end but what's happening in between you don't know but it's happening have you ever seen anything like that see someone saved you're in on the beginning and then you watch them grow you might come in on the end of it later but it's wonderful God's done something so it is in our lives when we see God do something. We say, oh, when "We're in on the beginning." He uses us in some marvellous way. Then He brought, brings us in again, perhaps at the end of something. But it all d- grows itself. God is doing it. The increase is all of God. I think that's very wonderful. Well, we we we, we will lead that the growing grain. We're to be co-workers with God. Oh, if only we knew how and when God wants us to use us. Sometimes he wants to just get us out sowing. Sometimes he wants us at the end reaping. But in between, he wants us sleeping, or just getting up and going on with a few other things. But he doesn't want us interfering, not digging up to see if the seed to see if it's growing, having a look at it like some people do when they plant a hyacinth bulb. And after a week or two, they feel sore I'm sure it's not doing anything. So they dig it up to have a look, just to see if it's doing anything. And lastly, the parable of the mustard seed. The parable of the mustard seed is without any shadow of doubt the most difficult of all. Why? Well, because we have here either a seed that we now cannot identify or we are meant to understand something that is quite unnatural at the least, very abnormal. It has been known for a mustard seed to grow to four feet and even to ten feet, but that's quite exceptional. Mark says it becomes the greatest of all shrubs but well, this just isn't true and of course uh, um, those who've defended the scriptures have bent over backwards trying to explain it away but they can't get away from the same account in Luke and in Matthew both of whom say it becomes a great tree now you've never seen a mustard seed become a great tree So what on earth have we got here? So great that birds can roost and nest in it. There are two opposing interpretations. One, that here we have, from an insignificant small beginning, the growth of the kingdom of God. And they always quote Daniel chapter 2, verse 35, um, 44, and 45. And they say, you know how it grew and grew and grew till it, it filled the whole earth. They say, here you've got it in the mustard seed. That's one. Uh, inter- the other interpretation is that we have here something abnormal and unnatural developing out of a right beginning. The birds of the air, in verse 32, are nearly always speak of satanic activity and these others would say therefore we have something which began right but went off the rails and has become something entirely other than what was originally meant or designed for it well now what shall we say about that to me for what it's worth I cannot help but see in this parable that there is no harvest and there is no fruitfulness but instead the provision of a roosting place and a nesting place for the birds of the air in other words the seed developed into something not in its original life and design this is a perfect description of Christendom Something which is developed out of a right beginning into something not in its original life, in the original life and design. Now then what is the secret then? Well I've put it this way. The parable of the mustard seed, following him, the only safety in service. Now I believe that. You know where, where, where um, the Christians made their greatest mistake? when they began to substitute organisation for organic life. And then when Constantine came, they went over to becoming a state church. And then the whole thing was given the official the official stamp of approval. It would never have happened if there had been sufficient numbers of believers following him. There's a tremendous lesson, is following the Lord and all that involves. Otherwise, you know, we begin off right, and we end up something different that's a solemn warning isn't it on the one hand the Lord says now look here here is a sowing here is a weeping here is the beginning here is the ending here is the seed here is the harvest don't worry don't worry if you've got the right seed it'll end up the right harvest you don't know how but it'll happen the recovery of the church, the coming of the kingdom, the fulfillment of God's purpose, the preparation of the bride, all of it is going to happen. Because it's faith and patience in the service of God, who by faith and patience inherit the promises. How we need that. But the warning is this, be careful. If you faithfully follow him, you'll be safe. But if you don't, you can get into trouble. Brother Nee once said something which I think is a key to a tremendous amount in this matter. He said in days when the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle get divided. Never follow the tabernacle. Follow the Ark. Think about it. If you do that, the mustard seed won't grow into a huge tree into which the birds of the air roost and nest but it will become a harvest for him shall we pray now Lord thou knowest there's such a lot in this whole matter but we pray that by thy spirit thou wilt take this and make it real to us somehow Lord we all we all need, dear Lord, to know much more about service. And we need, Lord, to know thyself. We need to know the secret of the kingdom. <coughs> Lord, we, we don't want to even know the mysteries of the kingdom until we know the mystery of the kingdom. And we pray together, Lord, that since it's been given to every one of us who is a child of thine, born of thy spirit, to know the secret of thy kingdom, the mystery of thy kingdom, Oh, Lord, bring us into it, we pray. Open our eyes, Lord. Get us out of that sphere with the the natural man into that which is the spiritual man. Lord, we know this. Oh, Lord, it needs the dynamite of thy Holy Spirit. But we praise thee, Lord, thou art well able to do this by the cross and by thy Spirit. Thou art able to bring us right through, Lord, so that we are those who are led of the Spirit And know what it is to be following after thee. O Lord, make it like this, we pray, that we may know something of the truth of these parables in our experience and in our life, together as thy church and individually as thy children. And we ask it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.